0: Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We wanted to let you know that Olin's first book, What to Do with Worry, is now available on Audible. You can also purchase physical copies where Christian books are sold. Now, here's Olin. Let's open up to Luke chapter 2. So, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And while you're turning there, let me pray. Father... Thank you for having us here, waking us all up. Lord, give us the energy right now to focus. Uh, Give us, Lord, the discipline to avoid any distractions in our minds. Help us to be all here for the next few moments. And, Lord, we ask that you would be here in a special way by your Holy Spirit. And that you would be speaking to us. You would be convicting us where we need to be convicted of sin. And we would be humble and soft in our hearts to respond to the conviction and not harden ourselves. And Lord, maybe where we're weary and we need to be encouraged or lifted up, that you would do that. Lord, would you help us fix our eyes on Christ today in a fresh way, in a way that would change us, that would mature us, that would grow us up, that would make us into the men and the women and the leaders that you want us to be. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So Luke chapter 2, and ask yourself this question. What's the one thing that you would like to get out of your time in college. And I'm not going to ask you to share. I'm not going to ask you to turn to your neighbor or after the talk's over. So I want you to just be brutally honest with yourself. right? Don't give the churchy answer because you're at the spiritual conference and you know what you're supposed to. But if you could just be brutally honest and say, there's really one thing that I want to get out of my four or five years in college. What is it? You, you want a spouse? Do, do you want 4.0 and to be you know, the greatest and, and get some... Uh, Amazing career afterwards, just so you make a bunch of money, a scholarship to grad school, make your parents proud. What is it? I want you to think about that. Now we're going to look at this passage of Scripture, and actually, and I didn't know this, but Brian kind of referenced it last night. In the Bible, there's four different books that talk about the life of Jesus called the Gospels. And you get a couple of stories, in Matthew and Luke specifically, about when Jesus was a baby when he was first born up until about age two years old. You probably heard some of those read over the Christmas break if you went to church at all and then you really everything else you get is from age 30 to 33 when he's in full-time ministry but luke gives us this really short story we're going to look at this morning about jesus when he was age 12 and back then in jewish culture you were a child until you were 12 the year you were 12 especially for men it was a year transition you became 13 you were supposed to be an adult okay they were more of a farming society you didn't know how to need to know how to drive a car or something like that, you're going to get a job, everything Brian said last night. So one year of kind of transition from childhood to adulthood. It's very similar to what we use college for, right? You go off to college, you've been under your parents' care, most times you're away, and for four or five years, what are you doing? You're laying the groundwork for the next 40 to 50 years of a career. And so we want to look at this story and say, what can we learn? And listen, I realize that in a room like this, there are almost certainly some people You're like, man, even though I've been in this conference three or four days, I'm not a Christian, I'm not even sure I believe in the Bible, I'm, I'm not sure why I stand with all this Jesus stuff. Okay, if you're a halfway educated person in the Western Hemisphere, you have to admit that Jesus Christ was the greatest leader of all time. Even if you don't believe He's God. And so you ought to be interested in what was happening in young Jesus to become such a worldwide influential leader for good. You ought to care about that. And that's what we're going to kind of look at. What was going on in Jesus in his transition years so we can try to model him, follow him in that. So just three quick points. He was progressing, he was purposeful, and he was preparing. And I'll explain more about what I mean by that when we get there. But let me just read the whole passage first. So it's Luke chapter 2, skip down to verse 40. The child continued to grow... And became strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became twelve, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and he continued in subjection to them and his mother treasured all these things in her heart and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So do you see this passage is bookend with verse 40, verse 52 that essentially says the same thing. Jesus was progressing, and he was progressing in a very holistic way. Sometimes, and th- this happens for Christians and it happens for non-Christians, when we think about like getting serious with God, right? You're at this conference, there's all this preaching and worship, and you got people standing behind you, wa- you know, waving their hands and stuff, and people are crying, and in the breaks people are doing Bible studies and having deep conversation. You're like, I'm feeling like this conviction slash desire, maybe I should get more serious with God. Or maybe if I'm not a Christian, I should finally surrender to Christ become a Christian. But a lot of times, here's the hesitancy. I don't want to be a weirdo. I don't want to be a nerd. I don't want my whole life to be boring. And we can have this idea that what it means to be a Christian is you, like, kill your social life. All you do is sit around by yourself and read the Bible all the time. Maybe you move out into a cave. You know, take some bread and water so you don't get distracted. And then every once in a while you come out and you, like preach to your friends and you offend all of them you're like, that sounds miserable, who wants to do that? and what I want to tell you is that's not what the Bible teaches listen, here's what Christians believe, is that Jesus Christ it's a mystery was 100% God, still is and 100% man and when he lived his life he lived a very holistic life he grew physically, he took care of his physical body he grew in wisdom he was a thinker He grew in favor with men. That means he was socially active. He liked people and people liked him. And yes, he grew in favor with God. Okay, so the Bible doesn't call you to be a nun or a monk or a hermit. The Bible, rightly understood, says no, we want you to be a holistic person. Grow in every area of your life. It's good that you're in college. It's good that you play intramurals. It's good that you go to the gym. It's good that you go to parties sometimes, the right kind of parties with the right kind of people. It's good that you have friends. It's good that you go to class. It's good that you study. It's good that you make grades, get a career. Be all in on life in every way you can as long as it's not sinful. Okay? Now, I just want you to think about this when me, practically in your mind for a second. On average, and again, I'm not going to ask you to share this with anybody, so be brutally honest with yourself. On average, how much time do you think you spend average day on your mental capacity, your your wisdom, going to class, studying? I don't know, five or six hours, maybe? That's my guess for y'all as average when you're in school. How many hours a day do you spend on your body, physical, stature? My guess is average, maybe an hour or two. Go for a jog, go to the gym, get up, take a shower, brush your hair, all that kind of stuff, put on deodorant, brush your teeth, which you should do, I'm a big fan of that. Okay, life will go better for you if you brush your teeth and brush your hair, all right? Unless you just shave it really tight like me. How much time do you spend on average on your social life? Let's go gym, you know, physical, maybe one or two hours a day. Social, I don't know, eight plus, all the time hanging out in the food court, chilling with your friends, Scrolling on Instagram, keeping up with people. And guys, hear me. I'm not saying any of that's wrong. But then ask yourself this fourth question. How much time do you spend on average on your spiritual life? And my guess is, for almost all of it, even if you had different answers for what I had for the first three, it's probably less. Now... Am I saying that it has to be, I have to spend the most hours with God every day? No, I'm not saying that. The Bible never says that, so I'm not going to say that. So here, here's just a really, it's, it's a personal plea from me to you. you. You call it a challenge if you want to. Take it as advice, but here's some practical application. Would you consider making a commitment today, in this room, at this conference, to say, Just for the next semester. It'd be great if you did the rest of your life. But just for the next semester. You know, New Year's resolutions are coming up. It's good to make New Year's resolutions. Especially if they're realistic and you keep them. I am going to give God every day 30 minutes a day alone with God. Me in the Bible, me in prayer, me maybe singing songs by myself and nobody else can hear me. Me maybe journaling, writing out what I'm learning. But 30 minutes a day. Now listen, is there a verse in the Bible that says thou shalt give God thirty no, it's not in there. I'm just trying to make it really practical and concrete for you. And why do I say 30 minutes? Is there something magical about 30 minutes? Nope. Right? But most of us will easily spend 30 minutes a day studying and not think twice about it. 30 minutes a day watching a Netflix show, not think twice about it. 30 minutes a day going for a jog, going to the gym, not think twice about it. So why couldn't we at least give God 30 minutes a day? And let me just tell you some personal practical application from my life okay i started trying to do that i really started walking with christ in high school i started trying to do this in high school it started out really bad it started out it was more like every other day it was more like 20 minutes and i basically daydreamed for 10 minutes and i slept for the next 10 minutes right because like what the heck do you do for 30 minutes right it's like read a couple of verses write something down it's like god bless the missionaries help me not fail any test help me play good friday night and then it's like i don't know what else to I'm done. And that was only like 30 seconds. But I do have this memory of showing up every day, even in high school, saying, God, teach me how to pray. Teach me how to spend time with you. And it started to grow. I started to get more consistent. But even by my freshman year of college, and I don't know what it was, I could never string seven days a row. I could get Six. But it was all, and the funny thing was, it was usually my, you know, Saturday, you don't have anything going on, so you sleep till noon, you stayed out late the night before, then you wake up, then you just watch Sports Center all day, and the next thing you know, it's midnight, you're like, oh crap, I didn't read my Bible, but I'm too tired, screw it, I'm going to church tomorrow, the next day, right, that counts for like double, so I'll just go to sleep. So, spring semester of my freshman year, this is what, how many of you are freshmen about to go into your spring semester? Let me just see show of hands. Okay, so this is where half of you are. I made a commitment. I said, God, I want you to help me, but by your grace, I will not go to sleep any day if I have not spent 30 minutes alone with you. Now, again, typically six days out of the week, it was pretty easy. I tried to set my alarm before class and wake up and do it first thing in the morning. That almost never happened. So what I would do is I would just toss my Bible in my book bag. And the first break I had between classes, even for a lunch break, I'd go get somewhere by myself 30 minutes. But it usually would be a Saturday or something, a crazy day, stay out late, do a lot of stuff. I get back to the dorm room, I'd be exhausted. And here's what I do I'm not saying you got to do it this way, but this is what worked for me. I would go, I was in a dorm room, me and one other guy, we shared a bathroom, you know, kind of old school dorms. So we got four dudes, freshman dudes, sharing this bathroom. You know, you don't clean the bathroom except maybe once a semester when the resident assistant makes you. I would go sit on the floor of the bathroom. You can imagine what that was like because it was this cold linoleum and it was nasty and I knew I'm not falling asleep on this floor. And I would sit there with my Bible and I was like, God, I want to meet you. I want to get to know you. Now, guys, hear me. I hesitate to share that story with you because there's a very wrong way to apply it. There's a legalistic, white-knuckle I can do anything. Look how disciplined I am. And if I do this, it will make God love me more, bless me more. And that's the wrong way to do this. So don't hear it that way. I am not after just some behavior modification. But I'm after. Imagine if you really fell in love this next semester. Maybe you already have. With a guy or a girl. But you're busy. Maybe you're a college athlete. And you got a really hard schedule. Maybe you're pre-med. And you got an off-campus job or something. But you're like, I love this girl. You're going to make time to talk to her, right? And it's not going to be because you're trying to earn something. I just just like her. I want to spend time with her. That ought to be the heart that makes you say, I want to be purposeful about trying to get time along with the Lord every single day. A lot of times when I share my testimony, I'll, I'll, I'll say it this way. I'll say, I really started walking with Christ in high school. And then in college... Man, I had a great college experience. Loved my school. I got a great education. I got a job out of it. I met my wife there. But the best thing that happened to me in college is I met God. And some people say, wait a second. I thought you said you maybe became a Christian when you were younger and started walking around. I school. i like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you just have so much free time in college that, guys, you will never have this much free time again until you're about 70 years old and you're in the old folks' home. And by then you won't be able to stay awake. You'll be on an oxygen machine or something. And you don't want to wait till then. It's like, well, I'm sick of playing bingo with all the other old farts, so I guess I'll read my Bible. <laughs> don't do that. Start now. Well, you have all this free time. And guys, I was already a Christian. I was already walking with God. But it's like just having all that focused time. It's like I got to know and experience God at a personal, deeper level. And I want that for you. So I'm already into my second point. Jesus was purposeful. He was intentional. right? You're going to grow physically whether you want to grow physically or not. Now, most of us are not. We're done growing up, right? We've already hit our growth spurt. You're probably not getting us taller. But depending on what you eat and how you exercise, you might just grow out in very unflattering ways. Or, if you're disciplined about your diet, you're purposeful at getting the gym, maybe you're going to get... I was talking to another staff guy. I won't say his name right now. It'd embarrass him. Uh, but I said, hey, man, what, do you, what kind of goals you got for next year? He said, I'm going to get shredded. Right? You got to get purposeful about what you eat, how you work out. If you're not purposeful in school, you're probably going to flunk out. If you're purposeful, you make good grades. If you're not purposeful socially... Some of you are really introverted. You'll become a hermit on accident. You're like, I don't really like talking to people, so I don't talk to people. Therefore, they probably won't like you. They'll think you're a weirdo. They won't talk to you. Next thing you'll know, you'll graduate. You'll have no friends. That's not very good. All right? Man's not meant to live alone. Purposeful. What does it look like to be purposeful in your spiritual life? Did you notice what this said about Jesus? He's a 12-year-old little boy. He says, I want you to try remember what you were like as a 12-year-old little boy or little girl. And if you're like, that's too hard to remember. Just remember what it was like to be an 18 year old. Most of us, that's pretty close. <laughs> what did you tend to do and get so distracted in doing when you were 12 or 18, or maybe even now? That's just like you just lost all track of time, right? Playing video games, going hunting, binging your favorite series, hanging out with your friends, drinking. I mean, what is it? Playing poker. And when you do this, it's like, I just lose all track of time. Oh, darn it. I had a meeting. I forgot. Jesus is this little boy growing up in this little town, backwoods, small, one-horse town. They didn't have public libraries back then. They didn't have the Internet. But Jerusalem was like the big mega city. You had the temple there. You had the greatest Jewish scholars alive and this would be like one of us if you grew up in the most small backwoods town in the world in Alabama or Tennessee or wherever and then your parents are like we're going to take you to Washington D.C. go to the library of congress and you're fascinated with politics or something and you're like you're going to get to meet senators and stuff go to the white house that's what it would have been like for little boy Jesus and so he goes to the temple and he just starts hanging out with all the scholars and he's just asking the questions for three straight days it's like where did he sleep what did he eat doesn't matter he was, like, he was passionate. He's like, here's my chance. We don't have all these scrolls back in Nazareth. But here in Jerusalem, I can ask Daddy some questions back home. But Daddy's just a carpenter. He did not know much. But here, I can ask these Bible experts. Guys, you really want to grow spiritually. You really want to be purposeful. Your personal time alone with the Lord is, is super important. But maybe just as important as this. You are going to need peers and mentors. You're going to need a small group. You're going to need a great church. You're going to need a great college ministry. Christianity is not a lone ranger religion. You can't do it on your own. You will fail. Guaranteed. I was talking with somebody yesterday. Been doing college ministry 25 years now. Somebody makes a profession of faith. I have trusted in Jesus Christ. If you want to fast forward five years from now and know, will that person still be walking with Christ? In my personal experience, here's the number one way to know, to predict... Five years later, is that person going to be walking with Christ, yes or no? Did they get in a small group ASAP? And I don't care what you call the small group. D-group, Bible study, accountability group, make up some weird name. I don't care. The point is, hang out with other Christians. And find other mature Christians that are smarter than you, that you can ask questions to, and you can learn. And guys, don't be passive in this pursuit. Don't say, well, here, I'm, I'm on the trip, you know, I'm kind of hanging out with the campus outreach people. Almost be aggressive about getting time with the staff people in your quest- on your campus and asking them questions. Those are the people that really grow the most, the ones that are hungry. And, guys, listen, I know for some of you, you struggle with social anxiety. And, and, and the, the hardest risk for you to take in life is a social risk. You'll take a physical risk. You'll take a financial risk, doing a lot of sports gambling, maybe something like that, okay? You'll you'll take a educational risk. I'm not going to study. We'll just show up and see what happens. But it's like, hey, take a social risk. Go to the good church in town, even if none of your friends are going there. I don't want to go by myself. I'll look like a loser. Who cares if you really grow? I'd rather look like a loser and not be a loser. Then actually be a loser, but not look like a loser to people. You understand the point? Be willing to take that risk, to go have an awkward conversation. Hey, can you help me find a small group? Can you help me find an accountability group? Would you mentor me? Step over and go. Be purposeful. Be intentional. Third point. Jesus was preparing. Like I said, college for us is about four or five years of study to prepare you for your lifelong career, 40 to 50 years. So listen, if you're going to be a teacher, you probably should get an education degree. You want to be a doctor? you got to do pre-med. You want to be a sports psychologist? Do the right major. Get the right internship. It's, it's right. It's good. But prioritize your spiritual life above everything. And why would I say that? For at least two reasons. The reality is, most of you, especially as underclassmen, you don't know for sure what you're going to do when you graduate. Even if you think you do, it might change. Again, I've been doing college ministry a long time. Show of hands. How many of you have already changed your major once? Let's say show of hands. Okay, there you go. At least half, maybe the majority. Most of you will probably change it again before you get done. And guys, that's not bad. I'm a, it, it's a hard question to say. What are you going to do for the rest of your life when you're 18? That's, that's a little overwhelming. I get that. Some of you are convinced, I don't think I'm ever going to get married. I'm going to be single. Man, I can't tell you how many people I've known like that, and now they're madly in love and married. Others of you think, no, I definitely won't be married. And then I know people in the 40s still single. There's so much that you don't know about your social life, about your educational life, about physically even what's going to happen to you. But here's what you all know. If you're, if, you're, if you're paying attention, you, you know this. There is a creator, and you're the creature. He made you. You're not God, but there is a God. And this God wants to have a relationship with you. And that is the most important thing about your life, more important than grade average, friends, money, six-pack abs, all of that. Get to know God. Make that your number one priority among all the categories. Okay? And the second reason I'd say is this, guys, you can blow it in the other three categories. I hope you hear my heart. (laughs) Right? I want you progressing in all four categories. I want you taking your physical health, your mental well-being, your career, your money, your social life. I want you taking it serious. I want you to do it all for the glory of God. I don't want you to be a monk or a nun. But I'm just, I'm just going to go brass tacks with you for a second. I know some people. In fact, I saw somebody last week in their 70s, close to death. And they have made, they dropped out of college. And listen, some people drop out of college and go on to have a great career. So that's not the point. But this person made a lot of stupid decisions with their education. A lot of stupid decisions with their finances. A lot of terrible decisions with their health. Ate terrible. Smoked their whole life. Didn't eat well. Didn't take care of them. Made a lot of stupid decisions with their relationships. Burned bridges. Hypersensitive. Gets angry. Ruined a lot of family relationships. But the one good thing I can say about this person, they're a Christian. Listen, God doesn't just save the qualified, right, and the worthy and put together people. He saves all kinds of screw-ups just like me and you, Right? And this person is definitely a believer. Now they became a believer later in life. And did their life start to change after they became a believer? Yeah, a little bit. But they'd already made a lot of bad decisions they were hard to pull out of. But here's the thing. That person is sick. That person is dying. That person is broke. That person almost has no friends left. But you know the point? She's about to go to heaven. Christians get a great retirement plan, guys. So here's the point. Take all four categories serious. But if you're only going to get one right, get your spiritual life right. Because you can be sick and poor and stupid and no friends and you die and go to heaven for all eternity. And it's like, I had a really rough 75 years down there. But the last 10 trillion have been pretty freaking amazing. It all balance out. On the other hand, if you're the next Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, whatever, billionaire, super smart, all this acclaim, and you're a beast in the gym. You win the CrossFit Games, you know, like eight-pack abs. Your abs are so defined, they're like casting shadows. Everybody loves you. Everybody's following you. Super smart, super well-educated, super social. But you don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? Maybe you live 120 years old because you're the healthiest person on planet Earth. And then you're going to die and you're going to burn in hell for all eternity. And you think you're going to give two cents worth of care about how much money and fame you had, how much great sex you had because your body was so perfect? You'll regret it literally every second. Forever and ever and ever without end. Now, some of y'all may say, What in the world? That dude just got heavy. The Bible just gets heavy, guys. I'm just trying to be honest with you because I care about you. Jesus has this famous place, I think it's Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, where Jesus said, and Jesus is love incarnate. Pure love said this What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? and yet forfeit his soul. And some of you right now are trying to gain the whole world, and you know what? You're doing a decent job of it. You're going to forfeit your soul. It's not going to be worth it. One writer, a guy named Matthew Henry, said this, talking about, you know, like Jesus' parents lost Jesus for three days. It's pretty bad. You know, it's like... But then... They they, they dropped everything they found. And so he said, listen, in some sense, maybe you grew up in the church, you grew up in a godly family, I don't know, maybe you started your college career well spiritually. But in a sense, if you have lost your spiritual connection to Jesus, you should do the same thing that Mary and Joseph did. You should drop everything. Stop the journey you're on. Turn around and go back and find Jesus. Reconnect with Jesus. Nothing is more important. Again... My guess is there are some of you in this room, you're listening to what I'm saying, and you're like, you know what? This all makes sense. I may not like it, but it's pretty logical. But here's the hard thing, back where we started. I like playing video games more than I like reading the Bible. I like going to the fraternity party and drinking and meeting chicks more than I like going to church. It's more fun. Maybe it is in the short run. If you're really going to follow Christ, you're really going to trust in Christ, you're really going to walk with Christ, there will be things that He calls you to submit, calls you to surrender, calls you to sacrifice, and it will be hard at times. I'm not trying to make this sound easier than it is. But guys, did you notice this? Twelve-year-old Jesus, and again, fully God, fully man. His mom and dad come back. Why did you do this to us? And he responds, You guys should have known, I'm I'm in, I mean, in a very respectful way, he essentially says, Joseph is not my real daddy. Joseph is my adopted daddy, and I'm very thankful for daddy Joseph, but God the Father is my real father. So I'm hanging out with God the Father in his house, doing his business. You guys should have known. And you remember what it says? It says they didn't get it. Which is confusing, because like, didn't they have like angels coming and telling them Jesus was going to be special? Yeah, they knew Jesus was going to be special. They didn't get that he was God. They just thought he was like David or Moses or something like that. Like the greatest spiritual leader of all time. They didn't understand yet. He's fully God, fully man. Did you, again, try to put yourself in little Jesus' shoes, 12 years old, and he's like, mom and dad. He could have said, mom and dad, you know what? I'm older than y'all. I made y'all. I've existed from all eternity. He didn't do that. He submitted. He was humble. He went down and for the next 18 years, as far as I know, He lived in submission to them, being a good boy, following them. They didn't know as much. They didn't understand as much. But He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't hard-hearted. He was humble. We're trying to be prepared for our career, whatever's coming next. What was Jesus preparing to be? The Savior of the world. And why did He have to submit and surrender and live in submission to his parents who were more ignorant than him and they didn't get it. And maybe he didn't understand it or like it because that's what Father God was calling him to do. But it also, it was preparation for when God was going to say, I want you to go to the cross. I want you to die for these sinful people. You may not like it. You may not fully understand it in your humanity. But you got to trust me. you got to submit. you got to surrender. And that's what he did, guys. So I'll just end with two things. Number one, what is it right now that God is calling you to submit? What is God calling you to sacrifice? What is God calling you to surrender if you're really going to grow spiritually? But then secondly, did you notice in verse 40, the very first verse we read, the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon. Now, grace is one of those churchy words words we throw around all the time. What does it really mean? Basically, grace means when somebody says, I have grace in you, it's like, I like you. I look at you and I smile. You make me happy. I delight in you and I want to bless you. I want to use all my strength, all my resources to help you out. And that makes sense because God the Father and Jesus God the Son have existed, perfect unity, all eternity So Jesus becomes a man walking around as a 12-year-old boy. And God the Father is looking down from heaven saying, I like you. I delight in you. Because Jesus always obeyed. He was perfect. He was sinless. How did Jesus become such a great leader? Partially because the grace of God was on him in such a strong way. How are you going to become the man, the woman, the leader that you want to be deep in the depths of your soul and that God wants you to be? You're going to need a lot of grace. But here's the problem. Jesus was worthy of grace. Jesus merited grace. Jesus earned grace because he was sinless. He was perfect. He was God. And you and I, by our sins, by our selfishness, by our laziness, we demerit grace every single day. We're very unworthy. And that's why, fast forward to the end of Jesus' life when he's 33 years old, the father didn't just say, hey, go down and submit to some ignorant parents that don't really understand you. He said, go and submit yourself to soldiers and priests and Jewish and Roman governors that hate you. And they don't understand you, but they want to torture you. They want to scourge you. They want to mock you and spit on you and beat you, strip you naked and kill you in the most painful way they can come up with. And oh, by the way, While you're hanging on the cross, in a sense, I, even as your loving father, am going to join in and I'm going to pour out all of my wrath and anger and indignation on you. I'm going to abandon you. Not for anything you've ever done, son, because you've been perfect and you bring so much delight to my heart. But for all these wicked, selfish people out here that break my heart every day, I still love them. And I want to save them. And this is the only way to do it. And Christ said, okay, not my will but thine. And he went to the cross. And he died for sinners, just like me and you. That if we put our hope and trust in his resurrected life, we get all the grace that he got. All the favor of the Father, all the smile of the Father, all the delight of the Father, all the blessing, all the strength, all the help poured out on us. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help me. I pray that you would help everybody listening to this to look at you as a model, as an example to follow, but mainly to look at you as a savior. To look at you as a grace giver to look at you as the perfect sacrifice as our substitutionary life, death, resurrection our only hope. Thank you Lord Jesus for everybody here in this that has never truly trusted in you please save them right now and draw them to yourself and for all of us that have already trusted in you, would you grow us up help us surrender the things we need to surrender and be purposeful about our pursuit of knowing you I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.